we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. And welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, the psychology of why people buy. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Good, Ed. How are you? I'm good. So, Ron, why do you buy anything? I don't know. I, I really don't. I'm so confused. <laughs> this topic is is more confusing than it sounds. Actually, I think it's the psychology of how people buy, but why people buy is just as interesting too. Yes, and and, and they're both interrelated. Like, so absolutely. why would why would anybody sign up for a conference in, in Dallas, Texas, in November? Why so would they, they do that. Like, so they can go to a tailgate party and yeah. <laughs> experience a religious, the religious experience that is Texas high school football. <laughs> exactly, folks. And what we're talking about here is a, a, an event that we're going to be happening in November. We would love for all of you to attend. Those of you who listen regularly to the show, uh, it would be an honor to, to, for us to host you to the Verisage Symposium and also Art of Value event that's happening just before that. I believe that's the 7th and 8th of November, and then something like that. Then the 9th is a, a bridge day, and 10th, 11th, and 12th, we're doing the Verisage event. Uh, whatever you what, – what, what, I forget the, the exact dates, but if, please go out to thesoulofenterprise.com slash Verisage, and that will take you to the page where you can see all of the details about this great conference. This is a conference that, that Ron, you, we've had for what, about – Maybe ten years now is the first one. It's every, it's only every two years do we do we pull this off, right? The Verisage Symposium. I think we've had six of them or something or five of them. I, I've lost count. But what I think is really special about this is the Art of Value Conference. I think it's the eighth and ninth, Ed, um, yeah. for the Art of Value Conference. And actually, you are teaching that with our colleague Kirk Bowman. And I think that if you look at the agenda, folks, it's on the registration page for that. It's phenomenal. Ed's going to be doing value consulting, value selling. They're obviously going to be touching on value pricing and creating options. Um, I just think that's going to be a jam-packed two days of, of solid education. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun stuff, too. And you're right, it is. I looked it up. The 8th and 9th is the Art of Value Conference, followed by the Various Age Symposium, which be, will begin on Friday the 10th with Ron, a live recording, or actually a live, I think it's going to be a live broadcast of the Soul of Enterprise. In fact, I was on with our producer, executive producer Robert Cellino earlier today, getting that all set up that we are, we're planning on having the, the team from Voice America out at the event, uh, and we'll do a live show from, from the conference. Now, is that on the Friday day? Because that's the Fellows Day, the public day for Verisage is the 11th and 12th. It's that weekend. That's correct. But we are we are opening the Fellows Day will is going to be from 8 in the morning until 
two o'clock, and then then beginning at three o'clock Central Time will be uh, the uh, will be our uh, will be our show, which our is show. really the kickoff of the Various Age Symposium. Gotcha. By the way, folks, just just so you know, the word symposium is purposefully chosen. Uh, it it it's Greek, and it means to drink together. <laughs> <laughs> Dr- yes. Drinking not required, but but uh, is much preferred. So <laughs> some of that happens at Barisage. You'll find a lot of people who like wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're looking forward to that. But so, why would people buy a fine bottle of wine, or you know, how would what would be the process of why they would go about doing that or attend this conference? What, what what's the, what's the some of the thoughts behind this, Ron? I, you know, this is really great, Ed, and, and and I've realized that you and I have talked about many of these different theories all the time about what and how people buy, and there's lots of theories. There's a ton of them. Let's just let's just review six one six real quick. Six six that you and I talk about all <laughs> the time. Simon Sinek, people buy uh-huh. why you do it, right? Right. Not what. Right. Not how. Why? Okay. Huh. Ted Levitt, the former marketing professor at Harvard, says people buy expectations piney okay. gilmore people buy experiences or transformations um okay. i forget michael labeouf says people buy good feelings or solutions to problems that's a very old utilitarian one mm-hmm. right um clayton christensen has a new book out i've talked about this a little i want to talk more about it today um that it's the theory of the job to be done that people buy a product to do a job, to do a specific job, what he calls purpose brands, like Uber, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And then there's um, Kevin Kelly, who wrote The Inevitable, and mm-hmm. he starts talking about generative value, right? Especially in the new era with all of this technology. I mean, all of these theories are, they're not real substitutes. I, I think they, they're they are complements to one another. It's almost like they complete one another. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all kind of useful in, in their own way. So do you think that the different theories apply depending upon the, is it the person or is it the thing to be purchased or what, what, what do you think is at play here on those? I, I, I think it's both. I think it's both. Obviously, the, the, the job to be done, I think, is a real interesting frame because it is a real theory that they've really tried to develop based on really understanding why people buy certain and that the focus is more on products than services i have to say and and that's where i have some cognitive dissonance because when you get into services especially when you get into professional services like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever i think you're talking more about transformations than than just a job to be done a job mm-hmm. to be done sounds pretty utilitarian to me and yet we know from economics, I mean, I'll give you another theory that's not on my list, but Thor, Thor, Thorsten uh, Veblen, right? The guy who wrote the uh, theory of the leisure class thought that people bought things because it was a major signal of their status in their class, right? And and it, you, you bought these luxury items or whatever to show um, that you're a member of this class, right? And to distinguish from those below you. So there's that theory, too. Kind of interesting positional, positional good, right? The expressive good. But but I guess do all of them apply in every situation? I guess is the question, right? I mean, 
uh, and I'm just looking looking here on on my desk here. I have a I have a the original fidget spinner. I call it on my desk, um, and it, the original fidget spinner is no, also known as a major league baseball that I have just on my desk that I play with during the day, like when I'm on mm-hmm. phone calls and stuff. So I I, I bought this baseball specifically for the, for the purpose of sitting on my desk. Like I, it's never been used. I've never played catch with it. It's it's only sits on my desk, and I. And I just hold it, right? It's right, a security right. blanket, right? So, I, I, you know, it, can we apply Simon Sinek, Levitt, Pine, LeBeouf, Christensen, Kelly, all of these things to the, my purchase of this baseball? And what if I go one step further and say, well, what about the tickets to a game? Well, tickets to a game is clearly experience, right? I would think that that uh, it w- would apply, but not necessarily job to be done, unless the job to be done is me hanging with my family for, you know, three plus hours. Right, and entertaining you, right? Yeah, as a fan and 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 all of that. I mean, that, that's what's interesting. I mean, all, I think all these theories can be used, um, but you know, you can pick any one of them and and fit it into your framework. Sure, fit it into your customers. Um, I, I think this is the problem with reading too much. You you get overwhelmed with some of this stuff, <laughs> right? I mean, I would say pick a theory and stick with it. You know, and not maybe think about all of them at once. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I obviously think some of these theories are better than others. Like Simon Sinek, obviously, I, I, I agree with a lot of that, right? That if you sure. do business with people who believe what you believe, it becomes much easier, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is what makes Apple so powerful. But I'm also a big believer in what Pine and Gilmore are saying about the transformation, especially as it applies to most of our audience, which is professionals. Right. I think the transformation um, thing is really good. But what I do find interesting about the jobs to be done theory, at least from a product perspective, is what what Clayton Christensen is saying in this book. And the book, by the way, is called Competing Against Luck. He says, innovation is about progress, not products. He says, you're selling progress, not products. You're, you're getting the customer closer to some type of aspirational goal or objective. And and I think that's kind of an interesting frame, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christensen is a genius. So I just did. Talk about someone who just sits around and thinks of really smart things all the time. That's the guy. It, it is. And, and you know, <laughs> what's, fine, what's interesting, and he writes about this uh, in the book, he says, you know, this was an inductive uh, determination on our part. It wasn't deductive. We didn't start with the theory and then try and go out and test it. We did this through observing customers and really getting collecting qualitative data on mm-hmm. why why they were buying what they were buying. And then that's how the theory of the jobs to be done came came about. It was inductive, not deductive. And was it specific, because I haven't read the book, was it specific specifically around product purchases, or did it also go it, into experiential stuff as well? It, it, it is about products. They do, for instance, talk about TurboTax uh, quite a bit. And uh, there's obviously an experience component to software, as, as you know better than anybody. No kidding. Yeah, right? yeah. UI mean, for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that, so they do talk about that, but it's mostly focused on products. The, the classic example, and this is, they actually wrote a Harvard Business Review article on this first before they published the book, but it was why they were finding a fast food joint, and I don't know which one it was, <clears throat> they never named it, that commuters were, you know, going through the drive-up window and buying a milkshake. 
Now, this is like, you know, six in the morning or whatever. What the heck is going on? Why would you buy a milkshake? And the job to be done was, well, I needed something that would last my entire commute. And, uh, uh, you know, a muffin or a candy bar wasn't good. It would be messy. But the milkshake lasted, especially if they made it thick and put maybe pieces of little fruit in it or whatever. And that was the job to be done to, you know, keep them, keep them going during their commute. Hmm. Okay. And Interesting. They, so that's and, the play there. Yep. And, and they only found that by qualitative research with the customers, really finding out what are you doing with this? Why are you buying a milkshake? You know, most people in the morning are buying a cup of coffee or a banana or whatever. And, and it was a milkshake. So hmm. there was obviously, True. they were trying to do a very specific job. And my guess is that also had to to do with positioning as like to where that store was located with re- regard to access to a major highway or something like that. So there are other things there that are still in play. I mean, if if I, I don't know, maybe I'm in wrong, but I, I doubt I'm just basing this on my own behavior. But I, I'm I'm more apt to stop at a place like that to get something from a commute perspective if it's in the direction that I'm going and I don't have to go to the other side of the highway and then turn around. Right, right. Agreed, agreed. I, I think the other thing, the big thing that comes through with a lot of these theories, too, is the idea that people really do buy emotionally and justify intellectually. I, I think that's a statement that holds up pretty well, no matter what framework you're looking through. Sure, no matter which theory, which theory. Yeah. Yep. Well, great, great for a segment here, Ron. And I, I look forward to exploring the, this idea a little bit more with you as we move through this show. But we want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to ask, T-S-O-E, at verisage.com. That email will go to both Ron and me, and we'll, we'll ha- be happy to respond. We love to get emails from our listeners. Also want to remind you about the Verisage conference, which I talked about earlier, the soulofenterprise.com slash Verisage. We'll take you to that page. And just to let you know, there is an early bird pricing. Yes, we have prices. There's early bird pricing that is good through August 15th, 2017. So please, if you're considering going, take advantage of the significant price, uh, preferred price for registering early. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. 
The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here on episode 152, talking about the psychology of how and what and why people buy. And Ed, you know, if you think about a jeweler... I think they have a really good understanding that people aren't buying diamonds for the four C's, you know, the color, the cut, and the, the clarity, and the carat weight. Why do you buy no. a diamond? Why do yeah. you buy a diamond? It's to enjoy the reaction of the other person that you're giving it to. Mm-hmm. I mean, look those, at the way those are all advertised. features, not benefits. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And if you look at if you look at how they're focused on their marketing, the De Beers campaign. You know, diamonds are forever. I forget their new tagline. They have a new tagline, maker speechless or something. Um, you know, it's all about the reaction. You know, the advertising giant Leo Burnett said, don't tell me how good you make it. Tell me how good it makes me when I use it. Right. And I love that. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, no. And it, and it goes back to just this notion that none of us run around saying, do you see what I was sold yesterday? Right. Right. We run around saying, do you see what I bought? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, you know, one is active, the other passive. And, and clearly what you want to do is be in, in the driver's seat of, of being the buyer as opposed to the object, meaning this, the, the sold to. Right. Right. And, you know, this Michael LaBeouf, I think this this is and this is an old theory, this idea that people only buy two things with all their hard earned money, good feelings or solutions to problems. But. This is kind of expressed in the idea that, you know, don't sell me clothes, right? Sell me a sharp appearance and attractiveness. Don't don't sell me insurance. Sell me peace of mind. Don't sell me a home. Sell me a piece of the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. And pride of ownership. I mean, you can see how they all kind of focus on the, the psychological aspects. A lot. Of, what's a lottery ticket? You know, a lottery ticket, we both know, completely irrational, your odds of winning the the super lotto or whatever are about the same whether you buy a ticket or you don't. Mm-hmm. So yep. you know, right? What's really going on there is you're buying a low cost dream. You know, yeah. a yeah. buck to fantasize about it seems like a pretty good deal. Um, you talk about Rogaine, you know, you're buying hope, <laughs> right? <laughs> <What>? I mean. <clears throat> Whose line was that about the the lipstick? It was uh, not Max Factor. It was uh, Revson. Revson, right? When yeah. he crosses the counter, it's not a concoction of chemicals. It's hope, right? Hope, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and even in and here's an interesting one: Callaway, Callaway, Taylor made all the you know the golf clubs. Well, you know they're not selling a lower handicap. They're not selling points off your game. They're selling a satisfying golf shot. Now that's very very interesting. 
you know, I've actually got a quote here from the founder of uh, Callaway who talks about, we're not selling a lower score. We're selling a satisfying golf shot. You know, when you hit that sweet spot and you get, you know, you get 240 yards off the tee and straight down the middle. Never happened to me, Ron, but I understand the theory behind it. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, but that's really interesting that they, you know, they obviously know that. And, and the other thing that fascinates me about all of this, Ed, and this kind of ties into what Rory says all the time, Rory Sutherland, is you can't get this type of information just by looking at data. No. This is qualitative information, not quantitative. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What's his line? Research won't do this. Right. Mark, right, right. Focus groups won't do this. You know, nothing. This this is this has all got to be thought, thought about in, in someone's head and created. Right. Right. Now, you know, we're fans of shaving with Occam's razor, right? Keep, keeping the uh, the hypothesis as simple as possible and still being useful. And, and I've always kind of been enamored with Theodore Levitt's idea that people buy expectations. Mm-hmm. no matter what it is they're buying. And what I find kind of interesting and useful about that is, to some extent, the business can manage the customer's expectations, right? I mean, Southwest does a masterful job at managing expectations because you know you're going to be treated like cattle. But when they give you great service, arrive on time, and do it with jokes and a smile and all of that, well, then they'll, they'll exceed those expectations. Right, Sure. So and now was it Levitt who is the they you don't buy drills you buy holes in walls or yes. is that Drucker's interpretation of it? No, nope, that's that was Levitt. Yeah. yeah, nobody buys a drill bit. You buy you buy a hole uh, to do something with. And the other thing I like about the expectations, and we talk about this a lot, is because customer expectations are dynamic. They're not static. They move. It's a moving target. Right. Certainly. Yes. And even before and after the purchase, which is a is another point. Yep. And and I think even in a B2B world, even though we don't like this distinction between B2C and B2B, but even in a B2B world, if you look at a company like Caterpillar or General Electric and they ask their customers, what do you buy? It, it's really continuity. They don't want their farm equipment going down. They don't want their airplane engines going down. And that's how both of these companies develop their their pricing scheme of power by the hour, Right. Maybe one of the only times that the time reference for pricing makes any sense because <laughs> it aligns, it's aligning what, what it is the customer's really buying, the, the, you know, the engine staying on in the air because that's right, the only sure. time they're making money. Right. And it's not, we're not talking about a human being here either. So, right. And, and on the expectation thing, I remember, you know, attending the Disney University and they, they were looking at one resort and why the retention rate was so high for families with children. And it came down to the swimming pool. And right. so they started investing huge amounts into the swimming pool. Now, I bet you, since we're 20 years later, um, that, that that expectations changed to something else. I don't know, Ron. I got two kids, and I got to tell you that I'm almost firmly convinced that our vacations could could be consist consist of me driving around for two hours and staying at a hotel that's five minutes from our house, as long as it has a swimming pool. It's a swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know it's it's an important thing. It's really, really true. <laughs> uh, and and that, and even it's like a crappy swimming pool. So you know, only imagine what Disney's doing with it with when they you know they up at a level. But yeah, no, I get that, and I th- I think that's that's certainly all true that all of these things do come into play but 
as you are talking through this, one of the things that popped into my mind is, is the unifying theory around this, the subjective theory of value, our old friend, the subjective theory of value that just says, hey, listen, the reason why all of these things are in play is because value is what the customer says it is. Yeah, it, it is, Ed. I mean, I'm looking at a, at a book. Uh, uh, I was looking at a book by an economist who teaches business leaders, and he talks about 13 forces that shape what people buy. Um, and, it, you know, things like aptness and bandwagon and demographics and greed and habit and all of these different things. And it's like, yeah, but when you get down to this, I mean, people buy value and value is completely subjective, kind of like risk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people have different tolerances for risk and people buy things for different reasons. That's why I'm quite skeptical, by the way, of personas. I am not a big fan of the persona. I know that was and that was a hot thing for a while. It seems to have fallen a bit out of favor in the conversations that I have with 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 certain people. But uh, yeah, for a while, that was just big. You had to like, you know, okay, well, does this per- when they sit, do they cross their legs? Is that it, what do they smoke or not? Well, how do they how do they do their hair in the morning? Do they use hair gel or hairspray? I'm like, really? Really? This is what we have to like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the context of the job to be done, the persona might, if you're focusing on what it is they're trying, your typical customers trying to do. Um, I, I think that could be useful, but but then I think you know the jobs to be done theory is better theory than the persona. Right, right. And what the danger to me is that phrase you just used is typical customer. Right. That's like yeah, yeah, exactly. no such thing. No such thing. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of stuck with uh, you know people do buy emotionally. I mean, I think about uh, a lot of things that we purchase. Even I would say negative goods or, or, or what Clayton Christensen calls negative jobs, right? The, the things that we don't want to do, but we have to do. Tax returns. Yep, tax returns, prescription drugs, insurance. I mean, all these different things. But we still, we still bring in the emotional aspect. There's a lot of Homer Simpson, right, in this purchase much more now. Now, Spock may be justifying it after the fact, but. My favorite example of this, Ed, is earthquake insurance, you know, and, and um, wh- wh- when are the best times for earthquake insurance? Well, right after one strikes. So after the 89th strike, I think it was during the World Series, wasn't it? When the Yes, it was. Yeah, the, yeah, sure. the, the Giants and the A's were playing or something. And, and, yep. that earthquake, and, and I called my actuarial buddy and I said, hey, should I buy earthquake insurance? And he laughed for about a minute. And then he said, so, Baker, do you go to, do you go to Vegas? I said, yeah. He goes, you play craps? I said, yeah, occasionally. He says, do dice have memories? <laughs> and I said, no. He said, so what makes you think the odds of another quake happening just because we just had one change? In other words, what he was trying to say is if you were willing to take the risk before, you should be willing to take the risk after. Nothing's changed because we just had right. a quake. And yet, Ed, right. that's not satisfying. I have earthquake <laughs> insurance because I can sleep at night. <laughs> But it's not, it's, that is not an intellectual decision because you won't find a more Mr. Spock than an actuary. And and this is for sure. This is by the way, why they don't let them near customers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He was actually the one that told me you want earthquake insurance, get a cup of kerosene and put it on your hot water heater, (laughs) which I still think is one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. (laughs) 
Uh, it's genius, actually. It is. You gotta, for those of you, you got to process that through. Think about that. Kerosene on top of a water heater in an earthquake. And I guess his theory was make sure you have fire insurance, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, homeowners is going to cover that. So. Right, 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 right. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> But anyway, um, that, you know, I always thought that was pretty interesting. The the other thing, uh, going back to the whole persona and typical customer and all of that, one thing I have learned from Stanley Marcus was that, you know, he said, never in my retail experience, experience have I seen a customer in a store. I've seen, or I'm sorry, a consumer. I've seen lots of customers for that's what they call themselves. And he really thought that there was no way that you would be able to judge a customer. You really had to talk to them and get to know them and understand what it was they were trying to buy. In fact, they had a $20,000 reward at Stanley Marcus during the time he ran the store. Um, if you could read the mind of a customer <laughs> and the prize was never claimed. I bet not. I bet not. <laughs> that would, that because that would be pretty amazing right there. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, one thing that, um, I do want to say, you know, how we, we say that people don't like to be sold, but they'd love to buy. Nobody says, guess what? I was sold today. Stanley Marcus did, has changed my thinking a little bit. He said, we actually love to be sold by a competent salesperson, somebody mm. who's passionate about what it is that they're presenting to you. And they know the product, not only at the you know technical level, but the emotional level. He said, that's infectious. And he loved to be sold by, you know, maybe a craftsperson selling, uh, you know, whatever. But he said, the art of sales is just dying. He's talking about in the mall experience or the department store experience. He said, you might as well just put in vending machines. Uh, which they're doing, Ron. <laughs> I, I know. I, I know. It's, <laughs> it's a really good I, point. I'm I'm really wondering how you know how well you've, have you seen those Best Buy uh, kiosks in the airports now? Yes. I yep. wonder how well they do. I will say this: uh, whenever I'm in an airport, I usually see at least one person standing in front of one buying something. I and I those hear are you. those are fairly high ticket items too. You know, they're like the Bose headset for three hundred bucks or whatever. Yep. But you know what, Ed? I I'd probably have no problem doing it if I needed the item. I would probably do it. Just it, you have to say it's convenient. Yeah, I will say that. And the, it seems also that the products that they tend to sell in those things are things that don't go on sale any other right. place anyway. Like Bose headsets, right? You can't Apple they, stuff. They, right Apple stuff. There's no there's no sale, so therefore you know you're not getting you're not getting a, a you're, you're not paying a higher price because you're at the airport, like like you do for food, for, right? For everything else, yep. No, yeah. that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Well, this is fascinating, Ed, and there's lots more to say on it. But, folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at barrisage.com. We will, of course, post full show notes on today's topic at thesoulofenterprise.com. And follow us on Twitter at, at asktsoe. And now we want to hear from our sponsor. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. You know, Ron, one of the more fascinating aspects of how people buy is the notion of relative versus absolute price. And there's an example that I think I, I first heard you give, and I know it's in your book, Implementing Value Pricing. So anyone who doesn't own a copy of that book should go out and buy it. You can get that on, on the, the TSOE website as well. But the, is this, this whole notion of what's known as the Weber, uh, I guess it's Fechner yeah, law, yep. right? And, and that is this, the, this idea that if there's an item that's, that's uh, for sale someplace at, for $15, people said that they would – drive 10 minutes across town if the item were on sale for $5 less, right? So from 15 to 10, they would be willing to drive across town to do that. But the the people wouldn't do that if it were $125 item that was reduced to $120. Then they wouldn't drive the extra 10 minutes right. but like it's, the it's the same five dollars it's the same five bucks it's the same five dollars and it's the same the, the same distance driven it's going to take you 10 minutes to get from here to there anyway so you know that there's a great example of being ruled by the homer simpson right the mm, donuts right. part of our, our brain <laughs> right because there Absolutely. you know mr mr spock doesn't go for that he's like if i want to save the five bucks i want to save the the five bucks regardless of what the original price the item is and you really have to i think play that in your mind with regard to especially if you're you know a professional uh, firm out there is are people really willing to uh, do do you think that they're going to go someplace else because of a reduction of you know five dollars or whatever on off of your item and i think you make a great point in the book that says one of one of the real problems with giving people a an hourly rate 
is that even though we all know that that's not a price because you're not giving them the number of hours it's going to take you, just giving them the price. Well, if you frame it as your rate is $125 and they find somebody else who says that their rate is $100, well, then this this notion kicks in and people would be willing to go perhaps with the $100 an hour provider, even though what it costs in the end might be drastically different versus that because of that, you know, the knowledge difference between the two people, right? But if you give a fixed price, if you give a, a, a fixed price up front and the difference is, you know, significantly more than that, maybe they, you get a fixed price for $5,000 and somebody across the, across the way or, or a competitor who's trying to steal business says they'll do it for 4500 or even 4000 then it's still less likely that the person is going to switch because of that price, because again of that rel- relative versus absolute pricing thing. So I think that just you know, as if we needed it on this show, another nail in the coffin of the billable hour. But but I, but we've never. I don't think we've ever talked about that example on the show, which I, I think is an important one. Right. No, it's a great point, and it, it just it, you know because pricing is part of marketing, and an hourly rate's really not a price. And it comes with all of these other negative factors that you just explained, you yeah. know, the, the the comparison, right? And then it, it shoves people into a relative mode rather than an absolute mode because it's not an absolute price, but you can relatively compare hourly rates with different firms, right? Yep. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons buyers think they like it because it makes things comparable. But obviously, it's like comparing surgeons based on their mortality rate. They're not comparable, Compare, you know, it's the illusion of comparability at that point. Good phrase. Illusion of comparability. Love it. <laughs> and the, the other thing, Ed, is just really quick. The other, another, I guess, possibly another theory that we could throw into the works here is this idea of a search product or, or service or experience or credence. Mm-hmm. Real quick, search products or services that have attributes customer can, customers can re- readily evaluate, right, before they purchase. We can yep. all go online and see a hotel room, an airline schedule, even televisions, right? You can, you know, get different things. An experience product or service obviously has to be uh, evaluated after the purchase, such as you dine in a new restaurant in your area or you uh, go to a concert or a theater or a movie or get a, a new hairstylist or dry cleaner, right? You're only going to know if you're satisfied after, sometimes even a few times, right? If you, if you mm-hmm. buy pet food, uh, you might not know whether or not the dog likes it, and, you know, for a while. Um, but then there's credence products or services which have attributes buyers cannot confidently evaluate. Um, and so one of the things they tend to, to look at, of course, is brand and testimonials. And a lot of people now rely on reviews, um, but also obviously price. Now, if you're in a professional world, you're selling credence services because you can't be evaluated after just one interaction or, or just one type of transaction, right? I mean, I don't know if my vet screwed up my dog or my CPA screwed up my tax return. It's going to take a while for that type of thing to unfold. So, or maybe never. Or, or maybe, maybe never. never. Absolutely. Yep, that too. And so one of the things, obviously, I'm going to look at besides testimonial and reviews and maybe word of mouth is obviously price. Price is a huge part of a credence good. And, and it signals high quality. And we should never yep. forget that. Nope, nope, not at all. Not at all. So, 
The, the other thing, I just wanted to talk a little bit more and give some examples that Clayton Christensen gives in his book, which is, again, Competing Against Luck. And, of course, I'll put this in the show notes. Um, and what he means by that, by the way, is he thinks having a good theory predicts. And he says there's nothing, you know, he's one of these guys like us who believes there's nothing more practical than a good theory. Yep. <laughs> and he, he said if, if you have a good theory, you can predict customer behavior and then you don't need to be lucky with innovation. <laughs> Because then you, you kind of know why the customer's bu- uh, buying what they're buying. Um, he gives a couple examples that, that I absolutely loved. Um, he talked about Procter & Gamble entering China with Pampers. Now, when they did this, uh, China does not buy disposable diapers. <laughs> that, that's not a big market. They, the country had no experience with them. But Procter & Gamble understood that, um, that babies would fall asleep 30 minutes sooner are 30% faster if they wore disposable diapers and they'd sleep 30 minutes longer every night. And and they said this aided the cognitive development. Once they started marketing it that way, Pampers became a $1.6 billion industry with a 30% market share in China. Dang. I mean, that just shows you how sophisticated those insights are. Now, again, this is not data-driven so much as qualitative information. Mm-hmm. And then he talked yep. about IKEA, and IKEA is a great example of what, you know, a purpose brand to, to Clayton, a purpose brand is synonymous with the job that you're trying to do. And obviously Uber, FedEx, right? I mean, Starbucks, there are just obviously some places we go to serve a job. I need coffee, right? I need my my fix or whatever. Um, one of his favorites is Ikea. And he makes the point that Ikea doesn't focus on demographics or psychographics. They focus on the job to be done. You're moving to a new space. Whether you're a kid leaving home, you know, going into a dorm or your own apartment or whatever, or you're just relocating or you're trying to outfit something, um, that's what they're structured around. They're structured around the job that the customer is trying to perform. The creation of a new space. And, and I, I think that, well, this, this goes right into our, our the great colleague Tim Williams' theory that a brand can only stand for one thing, right? Yep. Uh, and that what is, what is that one thing? And, and, so, and sometimes the businesses go their entire life cycles without understanding what that one thing is. Yep. Uh, good point. And and the other thing he talks about, he talks about the Mayo Clinic. So he does have some service examples. And, you know, the Mayo Clinic is designed around the customer, the, the patient. What what do they need? Now, Mayo Clinic has lots of different processes. And he says, look, processes are important. But the fact is they're invisible to the customer. Uh, what the customer experiences is the results of those processes. So the focus should not be on efficiency. It should be on the process I mean, I'm sorry, on the on the job the customer's trying to do, in this case, get them healthy <clears throat> and putting them through the battery of tests and diagnostics that they need. I mean, Mayo's really got this figured out. Um, when they move a patient through, you know, depending on the type of illness they have, I mean, everything's right there. You know, you mm-hmm. go get your lab work one place and then you're in the next room, you're getting your MRI and, you know, whatever, blood work, whatever. I mean, it's all really well, really well designed. Um, but he says the, the focus is not on the efficiency, it's on the job to be done. And he spends some time talking about that in the book, which I really appreciated that, yeah, too many companies focus on efficiency and they lose sight 
of the job that the customer is trying to do and, and how to better improve that experience. And then he also talked about the 1952 surgical pioneer, a guy named Dwight Harkin. And this guy, he was a surgeon, and he was noticing that patients were surviving, surviving at an increasing rate very complex sur- surgical procedures, which is a great thing, right? I mean, that means we figured out antibiotics and anesthesia and all these things. He said, but an alarming number were dying in post-op even though all of our processes are being followed. So here's a case where we're being completely efficient and patients are still dying <laughs> back in their room. Well, of course, this, this qualitative information led to the ICU. Okay. That, yeah. that was Dwight Harkins. He said, these people, some people coming out of surgery need to go back into an ICU and need a higher level of care. Where we're and we and a higher level where bacteria is not around, uh, you know, right, is is right. is more isolated, so that you're because people are coming out of surgery are highly susceptible to additional infection. So you got to make sure that that's clear. So yeah, makes 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 sense now. It's one of those things in retrospect. You go, well, duh. Yeah, yeah, right? it seems sounds so <laughs> obvious, but it, no, it's not. But we didn't know it back then, and um, I had never seen that before. I just thought that was really really interesting, but. Um, so yeah, I, I I really I did enjoy Clayton's book, and he's the first to admit that this theory does not explain everything about we humans and why we buy. Uh, he said, and you should look for anomalies. With any theory, you should look for anomalies. And he says anomalies don't necessarily disprove a theory, but they can they can point us to developing better theories. Absolutely. Wow. Well, we're here against the, the last break already, Ron, uh, but uh, so I look forward to one more segment with you. But I want to remind you again, the show is The Soul of Enterprise. That's the website as well, thesoulofenterprise.com. Please go and visit us. Uh, Mention again one more time the conference that we're holding in November, uh, early bird pricing through August 15th, 2017 at com slash Verisage slash Verisage. So please do look for that. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we're here with the last segment where we're talking about the psychology of how well really and why people buy and ron you mentioned a a a, a term early in the show that I just like to explore for perhaps a, the, the last segment here, and that is the, the notion of generative value. And I just want to read for the for our audience what a definition of this. And this comes to us from a guy by the name of Kevin Kelly. It says a generative value is a quality or attribute that must be generated, grown, cultivated, or nurtured. A generative thing cannot be copied, cloned, faked, replicated, counterfeited, or reproduced. It is generated uniquely in place over time. In the digital arena, generative qualities add value to free copies and therefore are something that cannot be sold. So that's the the the, the, the textbook or his book definition, Ron. But but give some examples of that. I know he's got you know some things about immediacy, interpretation, authenticity. There's lots of different types of these generative value. Uh, ideas, but I wonder if you wouldn't mind exploring a couple of those with with us. Yeah, he's got eight of these, Ed, and we actually talked about this when we were in Niagara Falls doing the Post-Professional Society, and I know we did a show on that. I know we covered this in that show, but just as a a recap, he talks about these eight types of generative value, uh, and the first one is immediacy, so like movies and obviously hardcover books have always had, you know, that immediacy, right? I don't have to wait for the paperback. Beta versions of apps are becoming a big, you know, big thing, a kind of a status symbol. Hey, I'm cool. I use the beta version. But then he also, the second one, he talks about personalization where now, especially with 3D printing, we're going to be able to mass customize things, right? On a scale and probably at a cost that we've never been able to do before. The Mm -hmm. third one he talks about is interpretation. So companies like Red Hat and Apache you know they can take uh, what is it Linux software, but they can customize it to your to your needs. DNA obviously you can get your DNA read pretty cheap, but somebody still needs to interpret it, right? He gives that mm-hmm. as an example. Authenticity, what he means by that, which is the fourth one, is like artwork and art- artifacts, right? Like the, those shows on TV, you know, where you bring your thing from the attic and they say, oh, this is worth, you know, a million dollars or it's, this is a piece <laughs> of junk or it's a forgery, whatever. Pawn uh, Stars. Pawn Stars does Pond that stars. a lot too. Yep. Absolutely. That was the other example I was trying to think of. The fifth one he talks about is accessibility, where you have others tend to our possessions, Right, so Airbnb, Uber, um, which obviously, and this is all in the context of the digital world and and the and the new technologies that are coming out. Uh, his sixth one is embodiment. So TED Talks, I always found their business model interesting because they make the talks available for free after the event, but you pay to go to the event. Well, he calls that embodiment because you know you get to hang out with the people, the the speakers, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with chef tours. Right, I can go buy books by all these chefs or even watch YouTube videos or their TV show for free. But if I really want to experience a meal and have them you know, explain it and hang out with them, 
well, then I'd maybe do one of these chef dining experiences or something. And he calls right, that. Right, which is, go ahead. He calls that embodiment. Right, which is what we're doing with the Verisage Symposium run. Yeah, that's right. Anytime that we is. take our show live, we're doing that. Yeah, exactly. Right. The seventh one is patronage where he talks about and here he gives the radio head pricing example, you know, where we, we've talked about that many times, I think, on this show where they let their fans set their price. And if they wanted it to be zero, you actually had to type in a zero three times. You had to <laughs> type zero point zero zero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other thing about patronage, Ed, which I think is really interesting in the context of Bitcoin or certainly altcoins or digital currency is micropayments. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the theory being, hey, if I if I like a comic strip, for example, well, if I could read a comic strip at a quarter or a penny per day, um, the, the, the comic strip developer would probably make a heck of a lot more money than syndicating it through newspapers. I agree. Yeah. And that's, those, all those micropayments are going to be big. Yep. Yeah. That that opens up all sorts of new ways to to uh, divvy up value if you will, and, and price things. I, I, I think that's an enormous thing coming down the pike. And, and by the way, just, just to let you know, George Gilder, I saw him talk about this very issue, not in the context of Bitcoin or alt currency or anything like that, but he right. talked about this very issue in 1991. <laughs> Gilder. <laughs> and then his eighth form of generative value was discoverability, help people discover things. And he gives the example of TV Guide, how TV Guide made more money than the three TV networks combined. Yeah. Right? Because they could charge for it. People buy a TV Guide to, to learn what was on TV. And he thinks there's going to be ways to be able to do that. To, I guess you could think of it as a curator or something, you know, but help people discover new cool things. Well, Google, right? I mean, just search engine in general. Yeah, TripAdvisor, I guess. I mean, there's Yelp. I mean, I guess there'd be all sorts of different ways to think about this. But I, I thought this was interesting. It, it, it's not so much – this one I don't think is so much on, is, uh, focused on the customer, although obviously it is. But it just ways that maybe professionals or businesses can think about new ways to add value. I think these eight forms of generative value offer some really interesting thinking. Well, I think one of the things we offered at Niagara Falls at that conference was to, was to 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 have a, a brief session where people sat around and and thought about these different eight things and see if they could come up with an example of how it would apply to their their business or one or two of them would apply to their business because you know search through all eight would would be a, a significant amount of work. But you know, I think it, a great exercise is to just take these and 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 talk about them with a group of people and say, okay, what 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 the uh, are are ones that we can leverage in our organization, you know, right now and today, because the, I, the, this is not stuff that has you have to wait for the future, right? right? This is stuff that you can you can act on now, especially with regard to marketing messaging. You know, one of the examples as you were leading us through that was, that I, I thought about. And I think we talked about this on Free Rider Friday last month. Is the you know the personalization of some of these cancer drugs that is happening mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, and, and the, the challenge of course, for, for a lot of them is that each one is, is in fact, absolutely individual because it uses the, the patient's own DNA in the process. Well, how the heck do you go get that through the, the FDA? Yeah, I know <laughs> that, 
That is, and, and that is so exciting to me to think about that we'd be able to do that and how more, you know, how much more efficacious that's going to be. Um, and just, I ran across this thing. It was, it's called Breakthrough Innovations Reports, and it's put out by the Nielsen Company, you know, the people that do the ratings. This was from 2012 to 2016. They tracked 20,000 20, new product launches, 92 sold more than 50 million in year one and had sustained sales in year two. Only 92 out of 20,000. Just leads me to believe why people buy, how people, you know what? <laughs> we're, we humans, we're kind of unpredictable. Yep, that, that's yep. kind of what I walk away from. I mean, you know, and, and I do think it goes back to value is subjective. Yep. Right. So, well, the great, the great, the great, uh, the thing that I, uh, the, about the summary of executive summaries, which are as follows. Some do, some don't. The differences aren't very great. It's more complicated than that. Than that. <laughs> as as uh, Russ Roberts would say on Econ Talk, life is complex. Some do, some don't. Some <laughs> might, some might not. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ed, what's up for next week? Well, next week, Ron, we are playing part two of our show from Toronto. Uh, we are skipping Freerider Friday for next week, but don't worry. Don't worry, it will return the first week in August. Uh, this is just because of some uh, little time off that uh, Ed Cleston family are taking, but we will be back with Freerider Friday first week in August. Next week, it's going to be the our part two of our event from Toronto. Fantastic. So we get two Freerider Fridays in August. Boy, I look forward to that. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours, Ed. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 